0: Wow. Today we have got one hell of an episode. Let's hear a brief intro from Wanda and Richard and then jump into the full conversation.
1: I'm Wanda Muñoz. I'm based in Mexico and I'm part of the Human Security Network in Latin America and the Caribbean. And I work on assistance to victims of war, the rights of people with disabilities and humanitarian disarmament.
2: Hi there, and I'm Richard Moyes. I work for Article 36, which is a non-governmental organization based in the UK. We work on issues of weapons law and weapons policy, and I guess I've pre- spent pretty much my whole working life working on those kind of themes, talking mainly about how we're allowed to kill each other, which is a bit of a gloomy subject, but, uh, but fascinating all the same.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Are You a Robot? This is a series where we aim to tackle some of the greatest questions and challenges that arise from AI and related technologies. Today, we've got an incredible account of that. This is one of the greatest questions that arises. Like, no doubt, we're talking about killer robots and autonomous killer robots. It may seem a bit like sci-fi, but wanda and richard come to talk to us about what is happening where we are where they hope to bring things and how they hope to make sure that we don't ever live in a society that there are killer robots going about their business and having the power to inflict force on anyone anywhere now this conversation does not end here i encourage you if you like anything that we're talking about, please join us in our Slack community, which you can find a link for in the description below. There are some brilliant people in that community and they are giving their opinions on what they feel the state of the world is. We're sharing best practices. We're sharing cool events that are going on. I highly encourage you to jump in it if this at all piques your interest and you like thinking about AI ethics or data governance or all this other nerdy stuff that I myself enjoy. So that's, again, the Slack community. You can find the link in the description below. Jump in it, say hi. Last but not least, I want to give a shout out, a huge shout out to our sponsor, Ethics Grade. They are doing some really cutting edge stuff when it comes to ESG work. If you don't know what ESG is, that is the measurement of companies that they have. And they're, sorry, let me say that again. If you don't know what ESG is, that is the measurement of the non-financial impact a company has on the world. And, what ethics Grade is doing is they're going around and they're gathering all of this data to be able to rate companies on their data governance, on their AI ethics programs, and a slew of other pieces. You can download scorecards of these different companies that ethics Grade has rated and you can compare the two or three or however many you would like to compare. How Facebook's AI ethics or data governance program compares against Twitter or Clubhouse. It's really fascinating stuff. I encourage you to check out what Ethics Grade is doing. They're putting up new companies that they've rated on their website every day. Go and check it out. It's ethicsgrade.io. Again, you can find the link for that in the description below. Without further ado, let's talk with Wanda and Richard about killer robots. <laughs> Are you a robot? Welcome to both of you. I am highly excited for this chat because I think these are conversations that we need to be having. They're difficult conversations and there's a lot of gray area that's involved in this and... What we wanted to talk about today was the use of autonomous robots, the use of AI in the military, killer robots, as some people like to fanatically call it. And I don't think there's anybody better than the both of you to discuss this. And so first thing that we can jump into is where are we now? And what is the current situation? Because there's probably a lot of us that, think the military or the governments are doing a lot of stuff. We've seen lots of different displays of uh, maybe drones or, or uses of autonomous weapons in the news, and we've heard about it. But I'd love to know what exactly is the current situation. And maybe, Wanda, you can start us off with
1: that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Demetrius. First, I would like to start by um, defining a little bit what we're talking about, because sometimes when we hear about autonomous weapons or killer robots, uh, people think about cyborgs and Terminators, and and, and it looks like (laughs) like we're crazy talking about this. But this is not what we are talking about. We're talking about weapons that good uh, select and engage the targets, that means attack the targets, without meaningful human control, based on input from sensors and um, analysis of that information, and without someone actually taking the decision of life and death. So um, this has, of course, a lot of problems from different perspectives that we can. Are- come back to that later, no, but from ethics, international humanitarian law, human rights, security, etc. And uh, right now where we stand is that uh, we know that some countries are um, already trying to develop these weapons and there are some precursors of these weapons, but they have not been used. And I think there's sometimes confusion between uh, drones that are are being used here in Mexico. There have been attacks of of drones with explosives against police, but these are weapons that are um, uh, controlled by someone that is knowing exactly what happened and when to attack. And then what we are talking about is that weapons that um, would select and engage the targets uh, that are the critical functions of a weapon without meaningful human control.
2: I think what Wanda says there, she, she emphasized the the sort of role of sensors in these systems. And I think for us, that's a a key thing to recognize. We're really talking about this direct link, this direct sort of um, chain of action from sensor inputs in a system to some sort of calculation, to some sort of application of force coming out of the the other end of that system. So it's the chain of sensor inputs, machine calculation, force occurring, without a human deliberating on specifically where and specifically when that uh, application of force occurs and we already have systems that do work in that in that kind of way it's really a direction of travel that i think we see now with uh, improvements in sensor technology or developments of sensor technology with greater and greater computing power and greater uh, communications uh, capabilities we see the sort of potential for systems uh, functioning that way to to be put into operation over longer periods of time or over wider areas, and also using more complicated uh, like sensor representations or more complicated processing uh, mechanisms so that it really becomes difficult for the users to fully understand specifically what the um, effects of that system are going to be. I mean, we we should probably touch base with some of the existing systems a little bit to describe where we're at as well, but I I don't want to just talk on and on. Yes, please do. Should I... Throw a few on the table, Wanda. I mean, yes, yes. I think we already see uh, sort of missile defense systems that are using radar uh, signatures and they're scanning an area of the sky to, to identify the radar signatures of incoming missiles. And then the weapon system is targeting, uh, you know, force firing, essentially firing a gun at the source of that radar signature. So in that context, uh, we have the weapon system itself aiming and targeting, firing at the, at the specific object that it's, uh, that it's being triggered against. Even the most basic level, in a way, landmines. Uh, some of us have worked for many years on the issue of landmines, but they're a very simple system that uses a sensor, weights in the ground. The user doesn't know exactly when it's going to detonate, but that pressure sensor then uh, is subject to a calculation and you get the explosive force at the, at the other end. So you already have that sort of that loop. What we're looking at with future technologies is, is the potential of those to be more complicated and, of course, to be more mobile over, over wider areas or longer durations.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the missiles that are scanning the sky because that was one question that I wanted to ask about what's happening right now or a few days ago in Israel and the what they called the iron bubble. Would that be considered some of this autonomous weaponry?
2: Yeah, the the Iron Dome system is, is definitely functioning within this kind of mode. And I think for us, we need to recognize that these existing technologies are part of the discussion. I don't think we would say that that's a technology that poses serious humanitarian concerns mm-hmm. or serious moral and ethical concerns. In fact, that could be an illustration of, you know, uh, as being able to recognise that there is a utility to having machine decision making involved in these processes, but in the case of those systems, the user they understand what it's going to target, they understand the area in which it's functioning, they can make decisions about the risks that are being produced by that uh, the functioning of that system, they can turn it on and they can they can turn it off, so they control the duration of its uh, functioning. So. It's definitely on this on this path, but but for us, it would be a system, not one that should be prohibited, but rather one that we think would fall under uh, meaningful human control as it's usually used in in current circumstances.
0: Yeah, so I think about like the black box nature of machine learning, and from what I understand, is really what you're honing in on, what you're focusing on is when there is no human in the loop. Mm-hmm and lives or danger is being, uh, danger is happening, right? And so the human is taken away from the equation. And so I think about machine learning uh, and these black box models that if you ask someone, how did it get that result? They have no idea. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then I think about that being applied to potentially taking lives and I get a little bit scared. Is that what you're talking about right now?
1: Yes, that's part of what we're talking about now, exactly, Demetrius, because um, uh, one of the problems is that people would be farther away uh, geographically, from the situation and from the timing in which the force is being applied, uh, and we see that with the technology now, there's a lot of problems with the black box when it's applied to any topic. But we have seen the uh, the consequences in health, in education. There's a lot of concerns of how this is being used uh, in law, in law enforcement. So how can people even consider about using this uh, for uh, for life and death and situations? There's also the the question of accountability, because with the black box, uh, as you as you said, we cannot really explain why a decision was taken instead of another one. So, if a civilian is killed or a civilian uh, target is uh, a civilian is uh, infrastructure is a target, uh, who's going to be responsible? If we cannot even explain why the machine took this decision and not a different mm-hmm. one, so this is one of the many issues that are raised.
0: So. Is it only that? Because uh, I, I wonder about where you draw the line. I know that AI and machine learning is being used more and more every day in the military. And there are ships that need less crew. There's airplanes that, or fighter pilots that can do much more. And because they're leveraging AI, mm-hmm. but there is the, Ultimately, there's a human in the mix. So is that where the line gets drawn when there's no human in the mix? That's where you say, whoa, mm-hmm. we need to really take a step back and make sure that this is not happening for these reasons. Because I think about all of the the horror stories I've heard just with machine learning classifier models mm-hmm. gone wrong mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. something that, like we were, you were talking about, like bias in mm-hmm. certain applications of the of the different Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. machine learning that is out in the Mm -hmm. wild right now and how poorly it's performed and these are not life and death exactly but Mm -hmm. yeah we are talking about life and death here and so is it just that in your eyes it's okay to leverage it as much as possible as long as there still is that human that's making the final decision
1: I could say that we are not against the use of of AI uh, in the military, uh, just like as a blanket statement, because it can really it can be useful um, to support and to inform decision making. But it should not be a machine that is deciding when to apply the force or not. Uh, And I'm glad also that you mentioned the issue of bias because that is also one of our concerns. That um, as you know, I think it's being widely. I mean, not not as wide as I wish, but it's even, uh, it's being discussed more and more. And I'm sure you know about the Netflix documentary Coded Bias that is bringing light into these issues and putting it more uh, out out there for the general population. But uh, I would like to, to give one example, for example, from the work that has been done by Joy Bulanwini and the MIT lab, and they found that in facial recognition, the... The, the error for the recognition of white men is 1%. And for the recognition of dark-skinned men is 19%. And for the recognition of dark-skinned women is 35% of error. So this is just one example of bias. And then if we take it that this kind of technology could be used in life and the situations, it's really uh, unacceptable. There's also uh, recently that I, I read that there was some... Uh, company and the military that was trying to pitch their products. for the use of AI in this in this kind of, of, of situation, and during the example and the presentation they were given, the the machine mistook a tree for a person. So these are like real real concerns. And sometimes when we hear the from the military or defense industry, it looks like you know AI is this great amazing thing that will solve all the problems, and it is not. And we are already seeing all these problems, as I mentioned, uh, in employment, in housing. That's why, for example, there have been some more against the use of facial recognition uh, by police in the U.S. because of all these problems. Mm-hmm. So if, if this is unacceptable for these other issues and for these other rights to employment, to health, to education, why is it not unacceptable or why should not it be uh, you know, banned when it's the right to life that is on the line?
0: Mm-hmm. I want to touch on something that you mentioned, Richard, about the future applications of this and how... It's gone from being a landmine to now where we're at. And what are the future applications of this? What is, What can we expect?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I might just loop back a little bit to something you said earlier about drawing the lines and maybe use that to think about uh, where the trajectory is going. I mean, Totally agree with what Wanda said in terms of our concern really being in the the specific sort of machine decision making when it comes to what to blow up or where to where to fire when to fire you know force at a, at a target or, or an object and there are going to be other applications of AI across all sorts of areas of the military and and I wouldn't say those are unproblematic right I mean if you have human decision makers who are making decisions purely on the basic of, basis of a sort of bureaucratic apparatus that's being shaped so much by machine uh, decisions and classifications of data into particular channels and the like, then already the mm. the human aspect of that decision-making is being sort of pulled in a particular direction. So all of that is is going to be developing or is developing as well and not suggesting that it's unproblematic, but our particular concern when we're thinking about the campaign to stop killer robots is in this very sharp end to do with decisions around where and when force gets made and the role of machines in in that. We think we do need to draw some clear lines. And I think one of those is just going to be a line against uh, systems that function on the basis of sensors uh, targeting people. I think Mm -hmm. if you take the targeting of people by systems that use sensors as a sort of, you know, basis for decision-making, take that off the table uh, altogether, then Many of the issues around bias and the like, you take those off the table at the same time in some of their worst um, implications, because the most pernicious aspects of this would be if we start to suggest that machines can divide people into goodies and baddies, right? We're going to say our machine system can say they're a military combatant, they're the people we can target, and our machine is going to say they're a civilian. And already, you know, you can imagine how that starts to fix down identities and labels in a certain way combatants are going to be what people with beards and mustaches and darker skin and before you know it you know instead of that human in the moment decision about whether somebody can be targeted or not you've you've embedded all sorts of uh, potentially very m- problematic assumptions into the way that systems systems work so just a blanket rejection of systems targeting people no targeting of military people no targeting uh, civilian people of course uh, take those systems off the table you deal with a lot of problems there. But then there's still other concerns. And that's when you come to systems that are going to target military objects like uh, fighting vehicles, tanks, uh, this kind of thing. Um, You still need those systems to be controllable by the people that are using them. The person who's using them has to be able to make a meaningful decision about uh, the use of that system. And that means being able to understand how it functions. You know, if there's a black box at the center of that system, which means they don't really know what it targets or why it targets what it targets. They can't really explain why the system does what it does. Then I think there's a fundamental moral and ethical problem there, but there's also mm-hmm. a, probably a practical problem of of control. And similarly systems that can't, you know, that change their parameters of operation after they're put into use, if they're still sort of learning in some way or developing their mode of operation. So no targeting of people and then no use of systems that can't be effectively controlled, and I think some of these machine learning um, structures would be implicated in that latter um, category quite quite distinctly, because you know object recognition is a fraught business, as 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 Wanda suggested, and you know not just in terms of the biases that can be embedded in it, but in terms of our inability to really know what kind of error states we're gonna we're gonna end up with, and well, when it comes to blowing things up, there's of course big risks in, in going in that direction.
1: Mm-hmm. Hi, may I may I comment on something that you said, Richard? Um, I'd like to come back a little bit to the part on what would, what could we say about this from an ethical perspective? Um, because I think there's one aspect of ethics where that is What we have been discussing mainly so far, um, that is uh, that there could be a a mistake done by the machine that we would not be able to explain as to why you targeted a civilian instead of some military objective. No. So that is if when we talk about this, we are thinking about the consequences and something that could go wrong. But there's another aspect of ethics uh, where we don't even look at the result but just at the at the process and we and where we could say uh, even if it targets a combatant it's still not acceptable because a machine should not be the one taking the decision because that would go against human dignity and i think of course there are many other arguments but for me this is the main one that what what message would we send uh, no if we if we say like people we value your life so little that You know, just leave a machine to do it. And I think we don't want to live in a society like that. And many of us that are in the campaign, uh, I think, are of of this view. And this is why we're uh, working on this. Um, And just uh, let me add something else quickly. This is uh, something I wanted to mention too, because I think initially when... Some of us heard about uh, autonomous weapons and the sensors and AI. It's a little bit of a scary topic because we, I am not an engineer. And so we feel like it's a little bit difficult to approach. Uh, And I think some people probably uh, from the diplomats also try to put it in this frame. Like, no, but this is something about technology and the military. So why are you even here? Uh, But what what we uh, have been discussing and sharing with the with the with the colleagues, with the with the general population, with students, etc., is that this is not. Just about technology and military, but this is about the kind of society we want, and this is going to impact us because we are thinking about situations of conflict. But uh, if these technologies exist, they could certainly, at some point, be used uh, for by the police or on national security, or even uh, by uh, illegal or non-state groups, by the general population, mm. etc. So we need to get involved because these are decisions that concern us and um, and will affect our future. Totally well,
2: agree with. Wonder on that. And just thinking back to your earlier point, Wanda, like, just we always needed to remember that machines don't see people as people. It's a process allowing force to be applied on the basis of sensor inputs into machines. It's just a process of reducing real people and their human identity into just a pattern of data points to be essentially just mechanically. Uh, processed, and I think in that reduction is is right at the heart of what Wanda was saying there about not a consequentialist ethics, but a uh-huh. but a kind of morality just in the in the process itself. And on that latter set of points about society, I mean, if we don't take off the table killing people on the basis of machine decision making and killing people on the basis of algorithms, then I think that has an effect on how we can construct arguments about the role of AI and machine decision-making in other parts of society. Because if mm. killing people is allowed on the basis of machine decisions, then you can't really argue that there's an extent of harm, which is too great, you know, in relation to my mortgage application or something yeah. that, uh, that that creates a, a hard boundary. So it's a, it's a matter of constructing some hard boundaries within this space. Otherwise we're opening the door to a whole load of uncertainty in other areas or a creeping kind of handover of uh, significant human decisions to to machinery at the end of the day. So this is just doubling down on Wanda's point, that there's implications from these discussions in this weapon space, which is often put to one side. Maybe that's a bit of a segue onto the European rules you've been looking at, Wanda, but put into one side, you know, too often this military stuff. Mm-hmm. But actually it has a significance for how these discussions take place in society across the board. Eh?
0: Before we jump into the European Union stuff, because I do want to get into that. To your point, Wanda, and letting it become something that is used by potentially police or Mm -hmm. the government on its own citizens. Uh, I wonder about this and, and also drawing this hard line and saying that we don't want the technology to do this. Is it not correct to say that that technology is already out there? And... It is live, we could say. We haven't seen it be deployed on anything, but mm-hmm. it is out there. Mm-hmm. So what you're arguing for is that this technology be basically that the governments say they will never use this. Is that what it is?
1: Mm-hmm. It, 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 the way that, we would, that, I, that I would put in the metrics is, is like this. We are uh, asking for uh, an international treaty that uh, make sure that the use of force uh, is meant, no, that, 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 mean, that meaning. sorry that I usually say this in Spanish, so I need to see how to phrase it <laughs> properly in English, uh, that we need an international treaty that ensures um, the meaningful human control of the use of force and advanced autonomous weapons. But I want to insist autonomous weapons with the definition that we are saying that those that uh, select and engage targets, because some countries conveniently, <laughs> they uh, refer to other things uh, that is not specifically what we're talking about. We're focusing on these two critical areas that we want to make sure are always under the control of, a, of a meaningful control of a person taking the decision. And for that, maybe uh, Richard can say more more about this. There's a, a diplomatic process going on where these discussions are taking place. But our goal, yes, is that we have an international treaty on this topic that that puts clear boundaries.
2: Yeah, states, states governments uh, at the United Nations have been discussing this issue for seven years now in in a conference in Geneva, and uh, they're going to be having a big meeting at the end of this year. Given the situation with COVID, it might get delayed into next year, but they're having a a big conference of this framework where they really should be deciding that this is the time to start negotiations of an international legal treaty on this on this issue now whether or not they will make that decision at the end of the year that's one of the key things that we're we're working on we'll be pushing for them to to do that if they don't take that step then we need to see groups of states start to work separately from that un forum to actually set up this legal treaty uh, on their own on their own terms but we think that a legal international legal instrument needs to be put in place and uh, that can set the sort of the rules and the boundaries legal instruments of course don't just apply themselves though what they can do is allow us as a society as a whole to create a sense of you know a normative uh, set of a normative framework in this area where it becomes recognized that it's just unacceptable to use technologies where machines are Deciding to apply force to humans, and we sort of create a moral stigma around technologies that function in that way, a taboo around s- systems that function in that way, so even if not all states join the, this treaty, and if, you know I think if we're being honest, our expectation would be not all states will will join this treaty, but if we get a group of states to draw a line to say you're not allowed to use systems that target people on the basis of sensors or you're not allowed to use systems that are using machine learning in this way that, that means they can't be effectively uh, controlled, then I think that that sort of normative pressure will will shape the behavior of other states. It will shape the way that technologies are, are developed and it'll have an effect anyway. And I think, I mean, I'm, I'm pushing that point because I think it's important for all of us to, to develop and to hold on to a sense of empowerment and belief in relation to these mm-hmm. things. One of the challenges in society these days is it's often very difficult for people to feel that we have the mechanisms collectively to actually exert an influence on these things. But this can be done. We've we've done it on other weapons-related issues. We've developed other treaties prohibiting certain weapons. They've resulted in Thousands, millions of weapons being destroyed as a result. Not all states have joined them, but they've had a major humanitarian impact. They've shaped the normative landscape, and we can do that again on this issue. And we need people in the tech community and in sort of wider communities concerned with the role of technology in society to to engage with this uh, set of military issues and help us in that in that process. Because you'd be re- would, you'd be really welcome, I guess. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes can it's I add a little yeah can I add a little bit into into that um yes, um I think these examples that Richard are, was giving are really important because also sometimes I think one may think, oh yeah, these people you know they just want to ban war and you know <laughs> uh, uh, but but I, mean, I wish I could ban war but but what is important to know is that we are working on this uh, topic to ban autonomous weapons because there's a lot of precedents already from other weapons that have been Band- like retardation landmines, uh, cluster munitions, blinding laser. So this is something that is done, that uh, that that has been achieved also uh, through a huge uh, push and involvement from the civil society. So these mechanisms exist, and we know it's doable. But uh, but for it to be uh, doable, I think in the short term we need to. Um, to have more people raising their voices because some of the governments feel, as I said before, like there's a couple of diplomats (laughs) with their military attaches taking the decisions and they're not necessarily, you know, carrying out consultations uh, in their own countries with the general population to see if they want autonomous weapons or not. So uh, there's already thousands of scientists uh, in AI that have signed a letter saying that they are against this. The UN Secretary General has also mentioned, uh, I think think the words were that these weapons were morally repugnant. Uh, The ICRC also recently launched a a position to to raise their concerns of this. So um, there's a lot of voices that are being raised, but we need more people uh, to say, Government, I don't want these weapons and you better change your position because Mm. this needs to be banned. And I think one of the challenges that I see, to be honest, and for example, here in Mexico, is that, first of all, there are so many challenges that we already have without thinking even about AI. But secondly, for people that really work in AI, some of the main concerns now are, are around privacy for instance um, or around i say more more of these elements of access to uh, to employment and how human resources are using ai etc and this sounds like something too far away from the reality but it is not so i, I really encourage people to 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 look for us to look at the website uh, stopkillerrobots.org and and join the conversation because these these decisions are going to be taking taking anyway so either we participate and we influence them or they're going to be taken by other people who probably don't have the same human rights concerns like we do
0: one thing that i wonder about and i see this point this is a valid point of banning something like this just as we've banned chemical warfare and the chemical warfare does still happen, but it is looked upon by the greater society as atrocity and as it should be. And these countries that decide to not sign a treaty if a treaty were to come into play, does that not give them a leg up on the rest of the world? Is this not like going to start or maybe it's already in in the process of having some kind of AI or autonomous weapon arms race
2: yeah uh, I think um, I mean we I, I wouldn't think that uh, taking off the table the potential to have machines making decisions to kill people should be uh, a sort of crippling Disadvantage from a military perspective. I certainly think we need to be working to shape a sense in society that 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 can't can't be a, if you know a military disadvantage. If it let me let me formulate let me formulate this uh, again. I feel it it would be a, a shame for society if uh, it's considered a disadvantage to take having machines decide to kill people. Off the table. If that's where advantage lives in the world, if if you gain an advantage in the world we're living in because you're prepared to have machines kill human beings and other people aren't, then we're saying that the sort of social and political advantage lies with a sort of form of brutality and and barbarism, and that's not technology taking us to a better future. That's technology taking us to a very dark uh, future and one which we should. Be extremely wary of in its sort of underpinning social and political, political implications. Now, I don't think we want to really use the specter of a sort of dystopian future as the basis for this for this work. But we definitely don't want to be um, given a sort of sense of, uh, of of belief that the the political foundations of our shared future lie with machines making decisions to kill people and technologies that can't be effectively uh, controlled. Uh, used to apply force around the world, I think you should be able to take those two things off the table and commit to to sort of morally appropriate uh, behavior. Commit to applying existing legal rules in, in conflict, and we should be able to think within our society that that is going to be the way that is going to be the way forward. And we should be investing in in our belief in in that essentially.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I'd also like to comment on that. I give you the example of when one diplomat from a country that I won't (laughs) I won't tell you which one but he was telling us exactly that no but how can we ban autonomous weapons because other countries will have autonomous weapons so I have to have them and I was like but so do you mean it then then because there's one country that puts you know the lowest standard and the worst atrocity that can be then we all have to go to that standard no no what we have to do is to raise it and as we said before this is what we uh, have seen for example from the landmines before they were banned I don't have the exact numbers in in mind, but there were countries that were using them, that were producing them, and then with so many years after after the ban, uh, there uh, even the countries that have not signed the treaty or ratified the treaty are not using them anymore because the because exactly there's a a collective understanding from the international community that this is unacceptable. So yes, there's a one or two countries that uh, still have them. But it's nothing compared to the situation in which we were before, because there was a force from an, from the largest number of countries and from the civil society that said this is unacceptable. So we need to be looking at how we raise that standard, not everyone going lower to the worst uh, uh, <laughs> countries that don't care about human rights, even if they say they do. And also just to, to put it out there that There's with the arsenal of weapons that there's already that already exist in the countries. How many times can we kill the humanity? (laughs) Do we need Do we need to add something that it's not even a human but a machine that also now can kill humanity? There's all all these things need to be discussed as well.
0: Yes. So this is not necessarily my viewpoint, but I feel the question must be raised. Because I'm sure you've heard it as you are going about this initiative and trying to act, uh, create change. And I imagine some people have said, well, when you have these robots, or and I'm thinking in my head about a drone swarm, and someone says, okay, and they, first of all, well, there's two parts to this. One person just presses a button, and releases a drone swarm. And how is that different than pressing a button and releasing a missile? But then the other piece of this that I can't stop thinking about is if this drone swarm can go in and it will go into a building and maybe kill a few civilians, but also hopefully kill someone that is the right target, how is that different right now than the... Missiles that are being fired at buildings, and there's hundreds of civilian deaths, but you get the right one, and so then it makes it all worth it. You get that target that you were looking for, but they were inside of a housing complex, so the difference is there i I imagine you 've heard people talk about that, and i 'd love to hear what you have to say about it
2: well I mean, a couple of thoughts from my side first of all th- there's a lot of um, unpleasant and unacceptable things about the way that force is conducted in the world today with the weapons that we've got, right? It's not the problems of violence in the world are not confined to future technologies, but they're, they're also deeply embedded in the way that we think it's acceptable to blow up uh, buildings in densely populated areas and to bomb and bombard uh, areas of, you know, containing huge numbers of, of civilians and causing large numbers of of, of casualties and the deep harm um, i think in relation to the the sort of points of difference here one of them does go back to the point wonder made area earlier in my mind which is a which is about uh, the process the idea of processing a, a human through uh, through this sort of machine recognition and reduction to a to an an object um that, that has a sort of moral um, component to it that is deeply problematic. It suggests that we can embed into technologies these identi- identifications, these identifiers of who's a goodie and who's a baddie. And I think we need to be very careful of that direction of, of travel. There's sometimes, I think, in this discourse, a, a tendency to, to imagine that violence is something that can be perfected. And if only we just program the machines to do violence perfectly, then... Actually, it will be a, a better future that we're we're moving towards. But to my mind, violence is always a product of some kind of human failing, right? And I think that we as people, are, we have failings, and we have failings as individuals and failings as a, as social you know social units. And I think we can't expect violence to be conduct to to be undertaken absent some of some of that. We can't perfect it. We can't do it perfectly. We can't decide for all time, that this is how we know what a baddie looks like and this is how we know what a goodie looks like. Because we've done that in the past in our societies. We've created bureaucratic structures to identify certain people as uh, you know appropriate to be taken away and killed uh, in various regimes at different points in time, different signifiers. A couple of us on this call have been wearing uh, wearing glasses, right? I think under the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, wearing glasses was a indicator that you were not, trustworthy for the revolution and and you know you could be killed on that basis. So it's not like as a society we haven't had these sort of the belief that we knew now what the indicators were by which we could tell goodies from baddies. I think there's a sort of deep hubris potentially in thinking that, well, we've learned from that and now we can just program it into a to machine and, and leave it there. So I think that underpinning ethical um, sort of component is is still at the heart of the the point of difference here. And this is just recognizing, perhaps back to our previous framing, again, Wanda and I are not suggesting that there is no role for machine decision making of some kind in technologies in these areas. It's just specifically about deciding who to kill or, well, not deciding to kill people at all and uh, in systems that can't be effectively directed and can't be effectively controlled in their operation.
1: Mm-hmm. If I just may add something quickly, um, I, just to insist on, on what Richard mentioned, that there's, uh, of course, a lot of problems right now with the way uh, war is conducted, as we can see uh, from different contexts at the moment. Uh, but it's not because there are because there are problems right now with the current uh, use of of existing weapons that when we do not need to address the other ones. We need to address both. We need to address what's going on now, and we need to improve accountability mechanisms. But we also need to prevent that worse things will happen um, because uh, there's just to quickly mention some of the principles of international humanitarian law that need to be Consider before an attack that is a proportionality military necessity distinction between civilians and combatants and this is impossible as i mentioned the machine could not differentiate between a tree and a person so how is it going to to be programmed all of this uh, of course a machine in any way you program it it will not have human judgment and with all the black pro uh, blocks problems and um, there's not there's going to be more difficult to establish responsibility accountability and that's why we cannot let this happen
0: These are both great answers and I appreciate you talking about this. I I think that is the heart of the problem is that violence is a horrible solution and there's no humane way to do violence. So let's jump into the EU regulations because I think that is something that surprised a lot of people And Richard, I know you have a few thoughts on it and you can speak more to this. The EU seems like they, well, they released their new regulation Mm -hmm. or they haven't released it or it hasn't become law yet, but they've released drafts of it. And there's nowhere in there that it talks about the military use of AI. And do you feel there that is for some of these reasons we've been talking about that the EU feels like they'll be left behind and they don't want to be the first one to do it, especially if no one else is doing it.
2: I'm just going to comment very quickly, but I think Wanda probably has a better feeling for this this sort of terrain than, than me. but the first thing I would just say is that the, the, the document says this doesn't apply to, to the military. I just don't think that's quite how ethics and morality work in the world. I think you can't just say, this doesn't uh, have any relationship to to that because we say so on this piece of paper. Okay. Maybe it doesn't apply in some legal sense, but it has a bearing in terms of the meaning and the morality. And much that's said in this uh, actually brings out themes that I think are very important to us in terms of why we would reject the sorts of uh, uh, weapon technologies that we've been talking about here. So, Despite the fact that EU institutions have said this this doesn't apply to the military, I think we're going to find that it does apply in a sort of more moral and ethical way when we start to sort of leverage the arguments around it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, for me, what was quite shocking was to see that uh, the, this, this EU commission new rules and actions on AI for excellence and trust uh, in, in AI. And... How do you want to promote trust in AI and you live completely out the military I really truly was shocked to see the article 2 explicitly saying that this does not apply to says uh, does not apply to AI systems developed or used exclusively for military purpose because first of all I, I asked who is the EU Commission uh, delegating this responsibility to or do we not think that the military can rule themselves? Or I really, I really would like to get you know together with the people in the EU Commission and tell them, please explain me what what the rationale is behind and who is responsible to guarantee the rights of Europeans if if you go forward with this one. but I I I agree with Richard that the way the new rules are I, are drafted, there's a lot of interesting elements that can be useful for us as well. But the EU Commission should not be I you, I, I I'm I often say this like you cannot have it both ways. So don't you cannot say yeah ethical, AI yeah, trustworthy, yeah, yeah. But but let's not talk about the military <laughs> because then what what are we saying? We are not being coherent. Um, and I I would say even I don't think this is like in in good. You cannot in good faith have this argument that you want AI to be exactly. explainable, not trustworthy, et cetera, but let's not talk about the military. Uh, but what I find, I find interesting is the the approach that they took, what they call a risk-based approach. So exactly instead of looking at one a specific kind of machine learning or Baynesian, I don't know what, they're looking at the different uh, outcomes and the impact. And so in the part that is really prohibited AI, they say that is that that causes unacceptable risk and a clear threat to safety, livelihoods, and the rights of people will be banned. So when first I read this, I said, oh, <laughs> and then article two scope says, but this doesn't apply to the military. Mm. So I think this is the, the kind of things that we need to be uh, was, uh, concerned about or in the lookout, um, and just coming back to accountability from the from the EU Commission that they should be able to explain the rationale behind this and not not just leave it uh, pass by. But as these uh, EU regula- regulations, there's other frameworks like the OCDE principles on AI. There's the current negotiations on a UNESCO recommendation on ethics in AI. And there's a lot of countries participating there, um, committing to human-centric AI, to AI that should be used only for human rights. There was a, a meeting on in uh, for 46 Asian countries on AI and they were talking about how AI should be used on I, I don't have ex- exact words here, but uh, to live in harmony, to leave no one behind based on the values of inclusion and diversity. And you cannot say that and then go into the CC, into the CCW forum, where is the diplomatic forum where these discussions are held and say that actually autonomous weapons are fine. So I think part of the work that we uh, do and want to do more in the campaign is exactly to, to be holding countries accountable to their other commitments. Uh, not just it's not just mm-hmm. what you say in CCW, but we are looking at what you say in other forms, and this is to name a few related to AI, because there's also what goes on when they are discussing sustainable development goals in the UN General Assembly, and they're saying completely different things that are not coherent with this. So we need to be mindful and be you know, and tell them that we are looking at them, and this is not coherent.
2: Yeah, I think that's totally right in terms of. The sort of dynamics that we need to see. I mean, far too often there's this sort of exceptionalism for the military space, and mm-hmm. just a, a sort of idea that we could just suspend the the sort of mm-hmm. rules of the rules of evidence and the rules of analysis and the just the general sort of uh, you know analytical practices that we would use el- elsewhere. Yeah. And it's really not not good enough in this kind of space. I mean, there's a huge industry. I feel like intellectual industry in a way of people talking about. The ethics of AI and the morality mm-hmm. of AI and all of this. Well, it's the whole the whole section of sector of work is a joke if it uh, if it just could say, well, we're doing all that, but of course we're not going to talk about the role of AI in killing people. I mean, mm-hmm. if that if that doesn't get tackled within your ethical conceptual framework, then there's an extent to which you're being complicit in a just in a charade uh, effectively, and it's going to you know in a way it was suggested earlier, it's going to come back the other way unless um you know a solution or response is undertaken within the military space. That that opening the door of allowing AI to be engaged in the sort of function of determining you know, where force is applied and, and how people are, are killed, uh, it's going to have implications on the way that these are uh, these these kind of guidelines are understood if it's allowed to continue. I actually have more confidence than that. I think that what will happen is that at the end of the day, some states will realise that mm. this kind of analysis in the civilian space trumps some of the nonsense they've been saying in the, mm. in the military context, and they're going to think, actually, we need to start taking this a bit more seriously and recognising that we do need to draw some lines uh, in this military context because it just can't be squared with, with mm. what we're saying. There's too much of a tension between, between the different yeah. uh, positions, really.
0: It's such a great And talking about how this is the most high risk that you can get, and you're just leaving that one out conveniently. Yeah. But then we're going to put some tight regulations on other stuff that is not uh, specifically made for killing mm-hmm. and taking lives. Yeah. So it's a little, little bit hypocritical yes. to think that way. No,
1: even not a little bit very <laughs> hypocritical. I even was thinking, or is it that the EU, the EU commission says that the, the military, the European military is developing this way, we- or is planning to develop these weapons, but they won't be used in Europe, so what do we care? Mm. I mean, I don't know, but yeah. I, as I said, I really would like to, to meet with someone in the European commission and just, like, tell me what is it, because this is too stressful yeah. for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was my question. Why do you think it is?
2: Um, I just feel like that, that, that point about they won't be used in Europe, that brings out another sort of layer of hypocrisy in the same space when it comes to the analysis of weapon systems and the generation of risks. When we're looking at these technologies to use amongst our own population within, within our country, there's all sorts of analysis that goes into what can be used and, and how and this sort of public scrutiny and public debate. When we're imagining the technologies being used against foreigners, then suddenly the levels of analysis mm-hmm. and the participation of stakeholder groups and the openness and transparency of data. Suddenly, uh, it's, it's a completely different sort of set of rules and, and expectations. And I mean, I think that's that just is a sort of continued underpinning of, of part of the challenge of military conflict uh, technologies is that they're they're assessed and analyzed in a a mode that is still constantly not being really accountable to the people who are put at risk, like the civilian populations of the area in which you're going to operate. And there's a sort of just a systematic downgrading of those people as people versus your own population with whom, you know, to whom you're accountable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Ultimately, this is maybe what's this, a critique of the nation state as the sort of organizing unit for the application of Force. So, you know, I just don't want to turn this into some world revolution uh, uh, agenda, <laughs> but uh, but but there's there's a set of themes in these areas that, that technology is implicated in, really.
1: No, and I think it's important for us to look at those wider issues, Richard and Demetrius, because that's where you start also understanding how different uh, problems and challenges interlock to, to each other and underpin uh, the discussion as well. So I think they also need to be addressed.
0: So... Let's talk for a minute about the people that are creating these weapons. And you mentioned before there's a list of over a thousand scientists who have signed something saying that they don't want to be a part of it. And I know that there was big uproar within Google for how Google was interfacing with the American military. I don't know if it was specifically on this, but I know that a lot of employees at Google did not like that, and so they staged a walkout. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure what happened after that, but that was the big news. <laughs> and, and so people that are working on this, is this something that they need to be whistleblowing on? Is this something that they should be raising flags about if they're being asked to work on this? How do you see progress being made in that aspect?
2: Yeah, I think... They're, they're a key community I think for for us in in, in many respects right um, I think we, we want to see companies uh, individuals and companies expressing support for prohibition on, on uh, weapon systems in this in this area so supporting the development of new international law so if companies can make commitments not to develop uh, these technologies and can speak up in favor of international uh, rules then I think that's really valuable uh, valuable to us and s- sort of in getting engaged with analysis and perspectives on the on the technologies too and the the challenges that they that they would pose if they're put into into use in these kind of in these kind of functions because you know we are still talking a sort of future orientated set of issues and there is a challenge to developing argumentation in relation to sort of technology and the sort of future of technology difficult enough developing international treaties, prohibiting weapons that, that straightforwardly uh, exist. But in you know in the context of anti-personnel mines, in the context of cluster munitions, there were individual people, there were communities, but there's people who could stand up and they could say, I experienced the harm from this directly, right? I lost my leg, I've lost my child, I've lost my partner from, the, from this harm. And so this sort of sense of engagement from an affected population was very important. You don't have that in the same way when you're orientating towards the towards the future. So really, the voices of the people who understand the technology and can speak to the the sort of the sense of moral um, concerns that exist within the technological technology sector and in the tech development sector, I think they're really important to us, and they sh- should be very powerful voices in this debate. Have already been very powerful voices in this debate, and we're really appreciative of the extent to which uh, that community supports regulation and, and, and constraints on these military uses recognizing that there's no sense that that's going to curtail the positive and productive development of technology and AI in any way right we're only talking about not killing people through the use of machines it's not going you know you can it's not going to affect what algorithms can be scripted or anything else so
0: yes that is a great answer. And now, um, we're coming to the end of our time, and I would like to talk about just for a minute the black market of this, and how there will be treaties there, or let's imagine that things do get passed, and we understand this is not okay to being used, and it going back to your point, Richard, about yeah, society does not like this, but they still get used within terrorism situations or just uh, I think about like gang wars or these kind of things and, and there is a black market for it. Do you foresee some way that the technology will be completely banned and dismantled and it won't be able to get into the hands of others, not whatsoever. Or will there be still this underground use of it? Well, I'm not sure. I, I could. I really sort of
2: see it or frame it in those in those terms. I mean, I I think what we're talking about here is systems that function in a certain in a certain way. So I don't think you know we're not really talking about just necessarily unified robotic objects that move around, sensing their environment and applying force just in one discrete unit it could be a combination of sensors on a platform here and computer analysis of that sensor data there and sending signals to another unit to apply force over here I think it's the it's the looping together in a system that is the issue rather than the idea of some sort of um, just sort of unified robot uh, entity that's not to say that you couldn't have unified entities that function this way but I just don't see them being uh, you know I don't see them being a sort of black market uh, commodity that confers any any real advantage on you. Well, overall, like you said earlier on chemical weapons, there's always probably going to be people who breach um, rules. Sometimes people are going to build their identity a little bit out of breaching rules by looking like they're rejecting norms. But we just need to put our confidence in, in the sort of strength of the, the overarching position. Finally, I think my main concern in this space is not terrorist groups or you know rogue actors it's major militaries who are looking at the world and thinking about state peer-to-peer conflict and how to marshal a sort of mass effect against each other and it's it's those fantasies that are driving the development of technologies and thinking in this area really and it's in that space that we 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 need to have uh, the effect first and first and, and foremost. So I think if we can tackle this at the state level, um, that's where the, the bulk of the concerns really lie.
1: And let mm. me also please give an example that I'd like to share, uh, like to look at how a treaty can support uh, or, or prevent, a uh, respond to these kind of issues. An example from the arms trade treaty, for example. But now uh, recently here in Mexico, there was a lot of uh, upheaval because uh, it so happened that uh, there was, I don't know if you have heard about it, but a, a massacre in one of many <laughs> massacres in the south of Mexico uh, of uh, students, students that were studying to be teachers. And then they uh, there were 43 of them that were killed and some more disappeared. And uh, there was a role from the from the local police, etc. And time passed by we still don't know what happened we still don't know where they are there's a lot of problems but what we know is that german weapons were used in that massacre by the police and those german weapons were exported supposedly for military use and they were supposed to be used by the military and not in this particular state because of the human rights violations and they like found their way to this place. And so the answer allows to look at this and to realize and to denounce what is going on and to prevent it from from going on. So you, you could say, yes, but there's other groups using other weapons. Yes, there's many things going on that we need to address. But having a treaty allows you to give visibility to these things, to ask for accountability and try to ensure this doesn't happen in the future.
0: Uh, yes, the accountability and the Enabling mm-hmm. that it does. Mm-hmm. I see that point completely. So, so many great points being made. And I could talk to you all for the whole afternoon about this. I think this is a fascinating subject. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing in this field to try and move it forward. And like you said, Richard, it is got to be incredibly hard to enact treaties on weapons that are in the future or that are potentially going to be created as we have a hard enough time enacting treaties on, on weapons that are being used right now. So I think it's an incredible task that you're, you're both undertaking. I thank you so much for it. I have one last question and I'll say it to the both of you. I'll let Richard start. Richard, are you a robot?
2: Not a robot, thank you, Demetrios, but I've enjoyed talking to you and uh, not a robot yet anyway.
0: <laughs> all right, Wanda, about yourself?
1: Happily, I am not a robot. <laughs> Are you Definitely. a robot, Demetrios?
0: I don't think so, <laughs> but I don't know if I can say for 100% sure. We can't but, be sure, but right? I, yeah. It's going to turn I'm... out
1: that we were speaking with a bot all this time, Richard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly yes well thank you again this has been wonderful and really all the best for this project and this movement if anyone wants to continue and reach out to you what's the best way to do it and get involved in this project
2: they can contact us through websites uh, we're at ar- www.article36.org also stop colorrobots.org color that are uh,
1: And if you like anyone listening to us in Spanish, (laughs) selac, S-E-H-L-A-C dot org.
2: And on Twitter at at RJ Moyes.
1: I don't know what's the name. Help me out. Uh, At underscore, is it? The line? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, At underscore underscore Wanda, M-U-N-O-Z.
0: Perfect. We'll and we'll throw all of that in the show link or the show notes too, so that people can just click on it, make it easier for them. But thanks again, y'all. Thank you, Dimitris. Thank
1: you, Richard. Thanks a lot.